What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Curveballs and Chair Shots. My name is Brandon Tengelman, not sitting electronically more than six feet away from me is my lovely and esteemed co-host, Dominic Hobson, because Dominic is not here today. Yes, it is a solo dolo podcast. Dominic had some family things he had to take care of. I will be away this weekend, so we couldn't get our schedules to line up, so I got to do it solo today. But don't worry. All of Dominic's work that he does on this podcast will still show up in this episode. We still have Dominic's picks. We still are going to have Mr. X's questions of the week and all that good fun stuff. Just you don't get to hear it from Dominic's mouth. So just kind of like imagine that Dominic was saying it. I can't even remember the last time I've done a solo podcast. I did one last year for Curveballs and Church Shots. I used to do a weekly solo podcast on the other podcast, the Bulletcast, which I, I guess I can say because Dominic's not here. Don't tell him. I probably should have done that later in the podcast because he might listen to the beginning. But anyways, uh, it, it might be a struggle, but we will get through this. I, I promise you it's probably not going to be that long. We don't have too much news to get into. But let's start off with some baseball news. Well, first, I just want to wish y'all a happy belated Thanksgiving. Hope y'all had a fun, safe time. Black Friday. I know a little different. I didn't do any in-person shopping. Did some electronic shopping. Got Dominic his Christmas present. So stay tuned for the third annual Curveballs and Chair Shots Christmas Gift Exchange. So Dominic, if you're listening, you know, get me a present because I already got you your present. Now, let's get into the news. Only a few baseball tidbits to talk about. We have really the only signing of any like substantial name. Thus far for the Major League Baseball, I mean, we went over so many names for the NBA last week, and there has not really been much in the world of baseball. But Charlie Morton, hero for the Tampa Bay Rays, has signed with the Atlanta Braves. Now, this sets up the Braves to have a nasty rotation. We have Mike Soroka, Max Freed, Ian Anderson, Drew Smiley, and now Charlie Morton getting add, added to that rotation, Max Freed sustained a Achilles injury earlier, kind of midway through the season this year. So we don't exactly know what his timetable will look like. There was a video that showed him throwing already, which is a very good sign. So maybe he can be back early in the season and maybe even before the season starts. We shall see. But I do think Charlie Morton coming back, there was talks of him possibly retiring, but coming back to a contender like the Braves, and they were they made it to the National Championship Series. Now the Dodgers still, they're the World Series champs. They probably aren't going to get that much worse. They might even get better next year. And I think the Braves getting that experience, adding Charlie Morton, technically adding Max Freed as well to that rotation, they're going to be scary good. And I think they are going to be a solid, legitimate contender next year. As long, I mean, Marcelo Zuna is a free agent. I don't know if he's going to re-sign with the Braves, but that is definitely another marquee piece that they need to get taken care of. But even without Marcelo Zuna, getting Charlie Morton into that rotation is going to be absolutely disgusting. Speaking of the Tampa Bay Rays, we have Randy Rosarena, the possible World Series MVP, even though the Rays lost. Uh, he had an incident 
down in Mexico. He is Cuban. He, uh, I don't even know what you call it, emigrated, defected to Mexico. And he had an incident with his baby mama as well as her boyfriend. And Randy was trying to get uh, his child. You know, clickbaity headlines saying that he abducted the child and everything like that. Now, you know, I would haven't like read up on it, verba- you know, super in-depth and kind of we don't exactly know what is going down at the very moment but he was arrested then released all the charges have been dropped so it seems like nothing is going to really come out of this i don't see mob really uh you know punishing him i mean maybe they could have like some more details come out and it really looks bad in you know against him but, I mean, this was not a good look, especially with all the headlines and then he got arrested and it was in a domestic incident. We've seen, you know, Rawls Chapman, Mars, uh, Roberto Osuna. Uh, we got uh, Julio Urias. You know, we got some people in Major League Baseball with prominent names, especially Urias, who has definitely come on because of the playoff run of the Dodgers. But, Randy, I mean, this sucks to see. Obviously, we don't want anything like this to happen to anybody, you know. But, I mean... With him, he was a he just came out out of nowhere, rookie sensation, and then he has the domestic incident. I don't want to go too in depth and you know banish him to the shadow realm because of what happened, but it it just it kind of sucks. He was a lovable personality. Uh, in the interviews, he had the uh, I forgot what the cowboy boots that he had. I forgot exactly what the exact name of it was, but yeah, we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens on that front now let's move over to the world of nba where we actually have a lot of free agent news to talk about unlike in major league baseball basketball teams are actually making some signings we're not going to go over over every single one of them we're going to go over most of the marquee ones since we last recorded last friday but gordon hayward he has signed with the charlotte hornets four years 120 million we talked about LaMelo Ball getting drafted to the Charlotte Hornets, and now they pair him up with Gordon Hayward for four years, $120 million. It's a lot of cheddar for Gordon Hayward. Now, I mean, Charlotte, they had Kemba Walker. They were always kind of uh, on the outside looking in, possible eight seed, but they're going to get bounced by the number one seed. And I kind of see them staying in that realm with Gordon Hayward and LaMelo Ball you know, with some other pieces around him. I, I don't see Gordon Hayward being that guy, that marquee name that you're going to throw a lot of money at to build around. He's a good second, third piece after he had his devastating leg injury that we all saw and kind of wish we didn't see. He really hasn't been the same since. I don't know if he's really been pushed to be that same player because the Celtics were so good. So now that he's going to Charlotte where he's going to be much more of a focal point on that team, maybe he can step his game up and kind of prove that he deserved that big-time contract with four years, 120. I don't exactly know if that's the right move. I know maybe Charlotte's kind of reached out on a limb here because they're not a marquee franchise. They don't have – they have Michael Jordan. I mean, that's pretty much the only thing that attracts – I would think attracts free agents to play for the Charlotte Hornets. And I I just don't see – Hayward being that guy, but if they can get another piece, like let's say they get Giannis, highly doubt the Charlotte Hornets can get Giannis, but you never know. And Gordon, fine, probably not 
that much, or probably not worth that amount of money. Now, moving over to the Atlanta Hawks, which are sneakily becoming a, a pretty good team on paper. They have Bogdan Bogdanovich. Definitely na- nailed that name right there. He was supposed to be in a sign-and-trade, including him getting traded from the Kings to the Milwaukee Bucks, speaking of Giannis. That fell through because Bogdan didn't agree to the sign and trade, and so then everything fell through. He became an he became a free agent with uh, the well, Sacramento a restricted free agent. So Sacramento had to match whatever offer uh, the other team were willing to pay, and the Hawks signed him to a four-year, seventy-two million dollar deal. The Kings declined to uh, match that offer, so now Bogdan is going to be an Atlanta Hawk. We got uh I probably Trey Young. That's the kid I was thinking about. Trey Young, you know, he's the uh the sensation chucking it up all over the place. Not exactly the best young talent in the NBA right now, but he has good core around him and Ray John Rondo, I believe, also signed with the I probably should, see I'm kind of like now that Dominic probably is left I can say things like this that I probably should not just be throwing out names where uh, I don't exactly know what I'm talking about so let's see if I just uh, search up Rajon Rondo on the internet and now my Taco Bell Wi-Fi does not work he does play for the Atlanta Hawks so I had a useless information stored down somewhere but uh, yeah as I said I think the Hawks are definitely building a good group of players now I don't think that's going to elevate them to one two three seed but I think four five six is definitely obtainable make some noise maybe make a hot run and I think the Hawks are definitely a team to look out for in the upcoming NBA season now we have some re-signings to talk about Uh, Donovan Mitchell Brandon Ingram and Bam Adebayo have all re-signed with their teams Mitchell the Jazz Ingram the Pelicans, and Adebayo, the Miami Heat. All big-time names. I mean, Brandon Ingram, I think, is kind of... I mean, I think Mitchell is kind of on his own level, and then you can take a little bit of a step back with Ingram and Adebayo. But Adebayo definitely proved himself as a defensive you know, juggernaut down uh, in the bubble for the Miami Heat. And I think this is a good move for the Heat, trying to be a little homerish right now. But I think... With him being there pairing up with Jimmy Butler, there's still rumors about the Heat trying to get Giannis. I don't know exactly how that's going to work out because you just signed Bam to this big-time contract, but you're going to have to wait and see on that. Now, Donovan Mitchell, I'm really high on him. I think him uh, you know, being there long-term with the Jazz is a good move. Then Brandon Ingram, on the other hand, I mean, you got uh, Zion there kind of pairing him up with Brandon Ingram, the, the Pelicans, you know, they can make some noise. I know they were kind of just added to the bubble mainly because of Zion and trying to like force their way into the playoffs and try to see if they get that one eight matchup with LeBron and Zion didn't end up happening, but another year Zion is going to be the most tenured player on the Pelicans. I believe second year already a veteran love or hate to see it, whichever way you want to take that and that is it for the sports news i told you this was going to be a quickie episode now let's move on into dominic's picks you're not going to get me singing on this podcast Uh -uh. now last week 
Dominic and I both had a 9-6 record, bringing Dominic's total to 101, 63, and 1. I hold a three-game lead with a record of 104, 60, and 1. Now, COVID struck down yet again. Yeah, I know it's probably affecting everyone on Thanksgiving, maybe not having as big of a gathering as you normally would. But COVID took away a Thanksgiving game, the primetime game at night. We only had two of them, and they were both relative stinkers, relative blowouts. Luckily for me personally, I had some vested interest in these games because of fantasy football. But for people who are just casuals and don't really have anything riding on the games, these were not very good. Both of the winning teams on Thursday scored 41 points. The Houston Texans beat the Detroit Lions 41 225. Now, the Texans are just kind of on the brink. I believe their record is 4 and 7. Once again, I cannot be saying these things without actually confirming because then I just look like a complete idiot. And of course, when I try to click on it, it doesn't come up right away. So yes, the Texans are 4 and 7 and so are the Lions, but both these teams kind of feel like they're going in opposite directions. Not saying that uh, the Texans are going to make the playoffs by any means, but with Roman Cornell stepping in for Bill O'Brien, uh you have Deshaun Watson doing Deshaun Watson things. I feel like, you know, you can feel good coming out of the regular season here and it I mean, they look pretty good. The Detroit Lions just we uh, no Kenny Galladay, no Danny Amendola. They are very, they're not very good on defense. And then taking away uh, two, the top two options pretty much in Detroit for Matt Stafford, who came in with some uh, thumb injuries, some ligament damage, which is the same thing that's kind of sidelined Gardner Minshew. Um, Matt Stafford is dealing with that over there. And Houston just kind of played their game, throwing it all over the place. Duke Johnson finally getting some success on the ground it wasn't pretty by any means jj watt scored a touchdown pick six and yeah as i said i mean i think houston there's some positive building blocks to to build off of you have deshaun watson you have will fuller over there the defense definitely needs some work but with jj watt you kind of always have a chance news came out today that kenny stills and the texans mutually agreed to part ways don't think that really has any effect both negative or positive on the Texans. Where does Kenny Stills go? We, I mean, we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, he's kind of like a good third option. I don't think he has that second, definitely not first type of receiver upside. I mean, maybe with the, what's going on with Alan Lazard, maybe Green Bay could uh, pick him up. Just, just throwing it out there. Not exactly sold on that situation, but you just never know. And then the Lions, I think Matt Patricia is done. I think that uh, we're seeing a lot of these Bill Belichick disciples aren't really getting it done. And I think they get the longer leash because they are tied to Bill Belichick. And I think Matt Patricia is just another one of those guys. Bill O'Brien, one of those uh, Bill Belichick guys as well. And I think both of them will not have a job at the end of the season. Moving on to the Dallas Cowboys game. It always happens. The Cowboys have a game, the Lions have a game, and they both got destroyed. The Washington football team, your first place in the NFC East, Washington football team beats the Dallas Cowboys 41-16. Now this game, I know it is a blowout, 
but it was relatively close for a majority of the game. It wasn't a pretty game by any means. Alex Smith, Dinkin and Duncan, Antonio Gibson of the Washington football team, the marquee name coming out of the, the big performance out of this game, scoring three touchdowns. The first rookie to ever do that since Randy Moss in 1998, I believe. I'm pretty sure if you're on sports Twitter, every Thanksgiving you'll see that graphic of Randy Moss. It's like three catches, three touchdowns for like 186 yards. Antonio Gibson didn't exactly have that type of day, but he did score three touchdowns. And I, I, I'm not saying Washington is legit by any means, but they definitely can win this shitty NFC East division. I think with that defense, that is good enough to keep them in games. You got the front seven with uh, Chase Young and then the uh, secondary, which is decent enough. I mean, they kind of got torched by Amari Cooper, but it's Amari Cooper. I know he kind of has his ups and downs, but there's a lot of weapons over there on Dallas and kind of being allowing Amari Cooper to be the only one to really go off. I think that shows that Washington has a good defense. Alex Smith, he's a pro. He kind of just does enough to get the job done. J.D. McKissick normally is the pass catching back. Didn't get too much love over there from Alex Smith. Antonio Gibson maybe taking that next step to where he can be the primary back both running the ball and catching the ball. Now coming out of, what is this, week 12? We're going to have to wait and see exactly what Washington will be able to do. But I think with the upcoming schedule, playing more shitty NFC East teams, I think Washington definitely can make a run in there on a hot streak while the Dallas Cowboys go in the opposite direction. Andy Dalton, oh, I mean, he threw that dot to Amari Cooper, 50-whatever-yard touchdown. And besides that, it was uh, not very good. And I there's not really other, any other options out there. And I, I mean, I, I said it last week that maybe if Minnesota, if Minnesota just absolutely torched Dallas, that maybe there's going to be a mutiny and maybe the Dallas Cowboys are going to revolt against Mike McCarthy. They ended up winning that game. And it showed you, like, the Cowboys are good enough. Offense can score some points. The defense still got awful, but as long as the offense can kind of keep up with the shitty defense, then they'll be okay. But just this was an instance where I think Washington showed that they have a pretty good underrated defense here, and they were able to keep the Cowboys in check. And I think, obviously, Cowboys season's done. They, I know they got a few weeks left, but I don't think they're making a run, going undefeated, and winning the East. Now, let's get in to Dominic's picks. First matchup, we have the Los Angeles Chargers traveling across the country to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Dominic has the Los Angeles Chargers. Very interesting. The Chargers just being able to beat the Jets. Now, the Chargers beat the Jets. Uh, Jets made a little bit of a comeback, but the Chargers were able to snuff that out real quick. Don't exactly know what Dominic's thinking is behind this. I will go with the Buffalo Bills. I think the Bills are, you know, trending in the right direction, coming off of their bye week. They had that really rough loss to Arizona a few weeks back. I don't know how that's going to affect them mentally, but I think that's going to motivate them to have a strong bounce-back week against, you know, L.A., who's record-wise might not, might not show exactly how good this team is, but I think Buffalo will get the job done against the Chargers. Josh Allen, maybe not going to have like a, 
monster game, but I think it'll be fairly successful. Then moving on to tent uh, to Indiana. I keep wanting to say like Indianapolis, but then like it's it is Indianapolis, but for some reason I keep thinking it's supposed to be Indiana. Tennessee traveling to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. Both of these teams coming off of some pretty big wins. Tennessee beating the slumping COVID Ravens and the Colts beating the Green Bay Packers. Now, Dominic has the Colts beating Tennessee here. Got to fade him once again. Got to go with my Tennessee Titans. I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. I think Tennessee has a good enough offense to keep up or to you know go against that really tough Indianapolis defense. Now, we saw Green Bay was able to be successful and put up points for the first half. Then the second half, the clamps came down and the Colts were able to lock lock it down. But I think the question for me is, what is that Indianapolis offense going to look like? Bad Phillip Rivers, good Phillip Rivers, or just kind of okay Phillip Rivers? Now, I think bad Phillip Rivers is not going to be enough. I think you need to have, you know, don't fuck up Phillip Rivers. No costly interceptions. Don't, you know, try to do too much. But I can see where Dominic's coming from on this one. I do think this is going to be a tough, hard-nosed matchup. I think the Titans are going to want to run the ball against the Colts, wear down that defense, and then maybe, you know, bust one over the top with A.J. Brown or Corey Davis. But I think Tennessee's offense, good enough to take on that Colts defense. That Tennessee defense, on the other hand, not very good, and I'm not very sold on the Indianapolis uh, offense. So I think both sides are very evenly matched, but I think Tennessee will come away victorious on this one then we get the carolina panthers taking on the minnesota vikings the vikings as i said surprising loss to the dallas cowboys after the vikings were on a roll dalvin cook just running wild they beat the bears beat uh i don't know maybe they beat some people they went on a little mini run and then the cowboys stomped them out of course because everyone thought the vikings were good and gonna beat them but they We'll take on the Carolina Panthers. Both Dominic and I are going with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, P.J. Walker was the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers last week. He beat up on those poor, poor Detroit Lions, shutting them out, I might add. But all signs seem to point that Teddy Bridgewater will be the starting quarterback this week. Don't think that's going to matter. I think Minnesota bounced back. They're going to win. Dalvin Cook just going to run wild all over them and Adam Thielen but some news to keep out for is that Adam Thielen uh, is on the COVID test on the or I think he I believe he tested positive not just only he's on the COVID reserve but he also tested positive he will not be uh, in this game don't think that's enough to favor Carolina but I think with Christian McCaffrey now playing I just think Minnesota is going to win here then we get Cleveland taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Poor Jacksonville. Win the first week, upset against the Colts, haven't won a game since. Cleveland finally getting out of that shitty weather, going down to Jacksonville. Watch, just with their luck, Jacksonville is going to have like a hurricane-type weather over there. But uh, both Dominic and I will go with the Cleveland Browns. The Browns, it's not exactly pretty, but they're able to win the games. Now, I think this is going to be a big Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt type of game. Maybe Baker is going to want to air it out because he finally has some good weather to throw in. But Mike Glennon is starting 
for the Jaguars because Jake Letton was not looking very good. I know he made that one really good pass at DJ Shark at the uh, first game he started, but after that, it all went downhill. And Cleveland, both Dominic and I agree, they will beat the Jaguars. Then we get the New York football Giants taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, God. Uh, sorry, Mr. X. Joe Burrow went down with a gruesome knee injury. I think ACL, MCL, I mean, just a whole bunch of different CLs were, were messed up in Joe Burrow's knee. He is gone for the rest of the season, obviously, and now it's a matter of what the next season is going to look like. Is he going to be available at the beginning of the season, midway through the season? He, I, he's definitely going to play, but it's always just a question mark of, with an athletic guy like Joe Burrow, what does that do for him, not only physically but mentally? Is Because it was a low hit. It was a relatively clean hit, but you know you, you just never know what goes on in an athlete's mind when they get an injury like that. Dominic is going with the New York Giants, I assume he thinks, without Joe Burrow. They really have no shot. And I agree. I think the Giants will win this game, but I do think that the Giants, it's not just that the Cincinnati Bengals don't have Joe Burrow and are one of the worst teams in the league without him, but I do think the Giants are kind of trending in the right direction. I think after Saquon Barkley, you know, got hurt, that obviously is going to be a negative, but I think with Wayne Goldman kind of hitting his stride and the defense, I think, kind of finding its way as well, I think uh, the Giants kind of find a way to get the win here, keep up with the Washington football team, get four wins, and they hold the tiebreaker because uh, New York beat Washington both times. So if they can just, if it's a tie between the two at the end of the season, the Giants will win the division. Then we get the Arizona Cardinals taking on the New England Patriots. Dominic has the Cardinals here. Uh, last time we saw the Cardinals, they lost to the Seahawks on Thursday night. Kyler Murray dealing with some sort of shoulder injury ailment of such. We kind of saw him on the sideline getting some work done, but he had some, uh, you know, designations going on throughout the week, but no injury designation right now. He is scheduled to start. He will play. Now, what exactly does that mean? Is he 100%? Probably not. I mean, you know, probably like lingering in the 90% or something like that, but don't think that's going to affect him whatsoever. Dominic is going with the Arizona Cardinals. The New England Patriots losing to the Houston Texans. I think they lose here once again as well. I think Arizona will win now. Uh, this could be a shootout. We've seen Arizona's defense not be the best. Now could they clamp down against the New England Patriots? Maybe they're going to have to force Cam to kind of throw over the top and kind of take a deep shot. Uh, we saw Bird. I forget what his first name is. I want to say like Damien, but it's probably not Damien. Uh, he had a big game. Don't know if that's exactly going to happen yet again. But uh, I think Arizona is going to force Carolina or not Carolina Cam to try to beat them through the air, and I just don't really see that happening. Then we get the Miami Dolphins taking on the New York Football Jets in the Meadowlands. Miami coming off of a relatively surprising, disappointing loss to the Denver Broncos last week. They benched Tua, 
kind of midway through the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, and they brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now people wondering, maybe it was an injury, but no, it seemed like it was more like a coaching decision. I kind of have some questions about that. If you have a rookie out there, why don't you trot him out there? Unless it is for like injury sake of like not wanting to get hurt because you're kind of throwing the white flag out there and just like, all right, Fitzy, you go out there, kind of run around, throw some balls, and maybe we'll make the comeback. But if not, it's fine. We don't want to hurt Tua. Because, I mean, I think people kind of forget that Tua had a very gruesome leg injury or a hip injury that happened. I mean, I think it was like very similar to what happened with Bo Jackson that ended his career. And with Tua, you just never know exactly if one wrong slip up and he can get hurt again but Tua will be the starting quarterback for the Dolphins this week and they face a Jets team who are still trying to get their first win Dominic thinks the Dolphins will win and I agree with him I think the Dolphins win as well I I mean the Jets it's the Jets I mean come on I think I'm, I'm gonna bet every week that the Jets will lose and I think it's more often than not going to be a right choice. Then we get the Las Vegas Raiders traveling to the ATL to take on the Falcons. The Raiders put up a hell of a fight against the Kansas City Chiefs last week at Sunday Night Football, thinking that possibly they could have pulled off the upset again, sweeping the Chiefs, but they were not able to do that. They came up short, left too much clock on for Patrick Mahomes, and they decided not to cover Travis Kelsey in the end zone, which might want to do that next time for further reference but uh Atlanta really rough showing against the New Orleans Saints now I know the Saints are good defense but with Julio Jones when Julio Jones isn't on the field for the Falcons that team just is not the same now Julio Jones I believe is questionable coming into this game I think more than likely he is leaning towards playing Todd Gurley will not be playing in this game however don't exactly that doesn't is like a really big deal but I think Todd Gurley has kind of had a a quiet successful year but Dominic of course is riding with his Las Vegas Raiders and I will go with the Raiders as well I think if Julio Jones is playing that definitely bodes well for the Falcons but I think that the Raiders are kind of hitting their stride they're finding like the right tempo they're kind of finding their way I think the defense as much as they kind of just completely fell apart and crumbled at the end of that game Atlanta as much as they are high powered it's not Patrick Mahomes it's not the Kansas City offense I think the defense of the Raiders can hold the Falcons in check enough maybe maybe even shut them down again but don't think that's going to happen but I definitely think that the Raiders offense can torch that uh, pretty bad Atlanta Falcons defense. Then speaking of those Saints, they travel two mile high in that high atmosphere to take on the Denver Broncos. Taysom Hill uh, didn't look very good in the first half, but was able to come back in the second half and uh, was successful. Two rushing touchdowns, uh, not exactly a lot of success through the air, but when he was throwing, he was throwing it often to Michael Thomas. Now Alvin Kamara not getting a whole lot of work through the passing game. Not a single catch, which I think Alvin Kamara hasn't done that in like a few years or maybe the first time ever in his career, which is pretty surprising. You would think for Taysom Hill, someone who maybe Sean Payton doesn't trust him to throw down the field, maybe just a dump off to Alvin Kamara and let him run 10, 15 yards. Seems simple enough, but 
Maybe that just isn't the way Taysom Hill likes to operate things. Maybe he likes, you know, kind of throw in those simp, like simp, likes to throw those easy routes in front of him than like, you know, having to turn and throw a dump off to Alvin Kamara almost like behind him. But uh, Dominic and I both agree that the Saints will win here. It is the Broncos, high atmosphere in Mile High, but I think the Saints will uh, do it here. I think Alvin Kamara will be a lot more uh, successful this week than he was this last week. Then the San Francisco 49ers coming off of their bye travel to Los Angeles to take on the Rams. The Rams with a very impressive showing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night. Dominic has the Rams winning, and I got to agree with him here. I will go with the Rams as well. San Francisco beat the Rams on a Sunday night matchup at Levi Stadium a few weeks back. Don't think that's going to happen. I think they got revenge on the mind. The Rams are in the thick of it for the not only a playoff spot, but to win that West division. And I think uh, they maybe they unlocked the secret formula, maybe going back in time to their Super Bowl run, throwing the ball all over the place. Maybe it was the game plan going into just Tampa Bay because they saw that that you know front seven is a little stingy and they don't want to rely on their kind of three-headed you know, carousel that is their running back division or running back uh, tandem carousel. I told you it was going to be a struggle on this podcast, but uh, Dominic, I both think the Rams will win and I'm not going to say it's convincingly, but I, I do think it'll be a uh, rather comfortable win. I think they'll be up by more than a touchdown. I'll say then speaking of those Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they host the Kansas city chiefs. Dominic has the Chiefs beating the Buccaneers, and I will actually differ from Dominic on this. Well, I will go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady not playing in prime time, which we've seen the graphic when he's played in prime time with the Buccaneers. It has not looked very good, and I think the division is kind of out of the question at this point, unless the New Orleans Saints just completely implode. Now, with Taysom Hill, a quarterback, that is possible. But I think the defense is enough to kind of keep it a low-scoring enough mat games to where Taysom Hill can just kind of, you know, mess around and score enough points to win the games. And I think Tampa Bay is going to want to prove themselves against Kansas City. It is at home for Tampa Bay, so maybe that is a positive. But they were at home last week against the Rams, and they lost. Uh, but not really, like, any real reasoning behind it, because on paper I think Kansas City should win. But uh, just kind of a gut feeling I got on this one that Tampa Bay will beat the Chiefs. Then moving on to the prime time game, Sunday Night Football got a rivalry matchup. The Chicago Bears travel to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. Now we will not get Nick Foles, no big dick Nick, on Sunday night. Unfortunately, he is still dealing with a hip injury, but instead we get the return of Mitchell Trubisky oh yeah baby this Chicago offense is just going to be on fire until Aaron Rodgers takes the field and then just absolutely torches everything and everything and anything he sees but uh yeah I will go with the Green Bay Packers Dominic agrees with me both going with the Packers which means the Bears are probably going to win this game but uh Chicago's defense coming off of a bye should be well rested because they have just been 
all, all all over the field all the time because that offense is not able to give them the rest that they need. So possibly coming off of the bye, that could be uh, an advantage for the Bears to rest their defense. Maybe they can get some things fixed offensively. Don't really see that exactly happening because Green Bay lost last week to the Colts. I think they definitely want to bounce back and get a big win against a big-time rival. Then Monday Night Football, we got a battle of the birds. The Seattle Seagulls take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Talked about the Bears offense not being so hot. Eagles offense right there with them. People are calling for Jalen Hurts to take over the starting quarterback job over Carson Wentz. That has not happened yet, and I do not think that will happen, at least right now. The Eagles paid Carson Wentz so much money, I do not think they're going to just up and leave him and say, you know what, midway through the season, we're still in the playoff hunt. We're going to ride with Carson Wentz. At first, it was injuries. We don't have Dallas Goddard. We don't have Zach Ertz. We don't have, you know, our wide receiver core. We're relying on Travis Fulgham. Now they're getting their receivers back. And yet, if anything, they've looked worse, which is a little head scratcher there. But Dominic thinks that the Seagulls will go into Philly and beat the Eagles. I got to agree with him on that one. Travis of the Front of Me podcast, Trapdoor Hell, said this game will be a little closer than you might think. I got to disagree with him on this one. I think the Eagles... Win by 10 here. I think the spread is seven, seven and a half, something like that. And I think the Seahawks will win by 10. Then we have the supposed to be the Thanksgiving matchup. Then it was supposed to be the Sunday afternoon matchup or morning matchup here on the West Coast. Now it's the Tuesday night matchup. The Baltimore Ravens travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. We already picked this game technically because we thought this was going to be on Thanksgiving before the Baltimore Ravens just had a complete and utter outbreak of COVID. Dominic originally picked the Steelers. I originally picked the Ravens. And Dominic is still going with the Steelers. As much as I like, want to just switch my pick and go with Pittsburgh, I'm, I'm no baby. I said last week I'm going with the Ravens. I don't care if Lamar Jackson has COVID. Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins have COVID. RG3 is going to march into Heinz Field and lead the COVID Ravens to a victory. Now, I'm not telling you to put any money on this. I'm just telling you, if it happens, I'm not going shut to shut up about it next week. Uh, but the COVID Ravens were supposed to take on the Bolt, or supposed to take on the Dallas Cowboys Thursday night. Now, that game has been moved to Monday. Now, you know, all, we, we haven't really seen this too much with uh, COVID affecting the NFL schedule. They have said that if any games have to be canceled or postponed or anything like that, then they will be adding another team to the playoff race. I don't. I mean, NFL probably wants to do it, but it's looking like they're trying to do all the possible ways to kind of stay away from that scenario. It is also interesting that the Ravens get their game moved to Tuesday when the 49ers had a not exactly similar situation, but they had a pretty high amount of COVID positives or COVID, you know, people put on IR on the reserve list like a few days before it happened. And yet they still had to trot their asses out there on a Thursday night and play. Is this favoritism? Is this a completely different situation? We don't know, but we shall see. Now let's get in 
to the fan mail questions, or otherwise known as Mr. X's and friends, questions of the week. Now, we're going to go into the Instagram first to uh, see our number one fan, Haley. Haley would like to know, my question is, are you guys done recording? Please answer on podcast. Well, Haley, thank you for sending that question. We very much appreciate it that you and Mr. X have become a weekly fixture here on the podcast. And to answer your question, yes, we are still recording. Thank you very much. Then let's move on to Mr. X's questions. <clears throat> I'm trying to like him impersonate Dominic impersonating Mr. X because I think that's what he does when he reads these emails. All right. Happy belated Turkey Day. Well, happy belated Turkey Day to you, Mr. X. Well, how worried should Bengals fans be about Joe Burrow after what happened last Sunday? I already talked a little bit about it in the preview game with the Giants, but I think Bengals shouldn't worry too much. I think, uh, if anything, this might help your team because Joe Burrow might have, because he's so skilled, lucked their way into a few wins here and there. And with Joe Burrow not playing, that means you're going to lose a lot more games than you're going to win. Shocker. I know. But I think as long as there's no setbacks, I know we had Alex Smith have, I mean, what happened to Alex Smith, gruesome, devastating, but it wasn't exactly the bone break that almost killed them. It was the infections. So we can't really map that out. It's whether it heals properly or anything like that. So I don't want to worry you too much. But for right now, you know, the timetable is he should be back by either the beginning of the season or kind of early into the season. Now, if any complications come up, obviously that'll kind of delay his recovery time. I, I think Joe Burrow will be fine. I think he will be able to bounce back and still be almost... The same Joe Burrow, as I said, maybe some psychological things might kind of slow him down, maybe double, you know, double hesitate or whatever. But I think the Bengals are definitely headed in the right direction because they have a good young core, especially on offense. Now, that defense has a lot of work to be done. So if they can kind of quote unquote tank, get a higher pick, go after one of the marquee defensive names in the draft, kind of build around him, I think that will be very good because with Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins, and even Joe Mixon, I, I know Joe Mixon has been dealing with his fair shake of injuries as well. I think you guys have a nice, good young core over there in Cincinnati, and I think with Joe Burrow, definitely uh, going to be one of the good ones going forward. Then, got some baseball questions here, or a baseball question. Well, I've been reading stories that the Reds are considering deals to trade Sonny Gray. They're on the verge of possibly losing Trevor Bauer. Now they're consider considering trading Gray. I've never understood this team and their willingness to trade away good starting pitching. The number one problem the Reds have is competent pitching, and they keep doing things like this. It pisses me off. Well, Mr. X, welcome to the club. As a lifelong A's fan, you, you, you come to realize that you probably shouldn't fall in love with some of these players. You shouldn't, you know, buy the jersey with the name on the back. Because more often than not, they're going to get traded away. But yeah, Sonny Gray. I mean, Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer, hell of a one-two punch over there. And Luis Castillo. And it all, I mean, it all depends. What can you get for Sonny Gray? Now, Trevor Bauer, I think better pitcher than Sonny Gray. So you're not going to 
get exactly a king's ransom for Gray, but if you can get, you know, flip him for two prospects, maybe even three prospects, and one or two of them hit. I know this is more, me, my my A's hat kind of going off because every time you see, like, Sonny Gray, you have a really good young pitcher, you, you think, oh, they're not going to last here. How are we going to flip them? And that's exactly what is looking like right here. I mean, poor Sonny Gray. He's successful in the A's. He gets dealt. Doesn't really have a good career with the Yankees. Then he finds success with the Reds. Now it's looking like he's getting dealt. Really, really sucks for him. All right, that'll do it for the sports questions. Now let's move on to the wrestling questions. Goodbye, Travis. Uh, who do you have joining Shotzi for her War Games team? I have Ember, Rhea, and maybe Io. Uh, those all seem to be very good options. I believe, looking at it, it is Candice, Tony, Dakota, and Raquel Gonzalez. Is it four? I keep wanting to think it's five, but... If it's only four, and as you said, Shotzi's team being Ember, Rhea, and Io, I definitely do think that is going to be the team for War Games. Now, going kind of broader picture, I kind of wish that the women's match wasn't a War Games match. I kind of wish they had just Shotzi and Candice in a one-on-one match. Just have one War Games match. I know it's kind of what WWE likes to do. They like to have both the men and the women have their own specialty match, but... It just doesn't really call for it. You're kind of, I feel like they're forcing these other characters into this match. I mean, Io, Rhea really have nothing to do with it. Like now Ember and Tony have their little thing. You could have just had Ember and Tony have a match. But then you'd have to add Io because she's a champion. She's about to have a title match on the show as well. So I kind of understand why they do it. But like last year, I thought the women's match had a lot more juice to it than the men's match. You could have just had the women's match as the War Games match. And then have the men's just, you know, do a tag team or something or another like that. I think it's very similar to what's going on in WWE. They have so many gimmick matches that it kind of takes it away. But at least with NXT, they don't have gimmick matches too often. Mostly they keep their gimmick matches to takeovers. So at least they're not having, you know, the ladder match before the ladder match or whatever. I forget what WWE did on. I think they did on SmackDown to where they had like the triple threat match for the IC title and it was supposed to be a ladder match or something or other like that. But yet they had like the same exact match on Friday, a couple days before the pay-per-view. It's just idiotic. But anyways, uh, can we please ease up on the bro stuff with riddle? It's making my head hurt. Well, that's kind of what happens there in WWE. Vince kind of hones in on someone and just kind of narrows them down to a word, a gimmick, you know, a trait, and this was pretty much what I thought was going to happen when Matt Riddle or Riddle made his way to the main roster, that he was just going to be labeled the bro guy. And that's kind of what's going on at the moment. There's all the speaking out stuff. Seemingly, it doesn't feel like it's affecting him negatively. But we shall see, kind of, you know, let the process figure its way out and see exactly uh, what happens. Then we got the final question from Mr. X. How high are the expectations for the match this Wednesday between Kenny Omega and daddy-to-be John Moxley? I believe this match is going to be really good. Now, John Moxley, for the most part, isn't going to have a five-star classic 
technical masterpiece. That's definitely more Kenny's forte. And I think John is going to want to go out there and prove that he can wrestle. Now, is it going to be, you know, Omega and Okada? Probably not. But I think it's going to be a really good match, and they're definitely hyped enough to be a special match. And with Kenny teasing being a heel, kind of already being a heel, but not really, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they do, like, some sort of major angle. Not exactly like Kenny having a faction behind him, but just kind of Kenny cementing him being a heel and like low blow cheat to win Kenny being the guy who wanted this technical match but then at the end he gets frustrated from Omega or from Moxley and he takes him to Dick Kick City hits the one ring angel for the win now I am leaning towards uh Kenny Omega winning this match I think with John uh John Moxley's engagements to uh New Japan I think they're going to want to get the title off of him so Moxley can go to Japan, do the whole quarantine thing, and wrestle at the Tokyo Dome and either drop the title to uh, Kenta or beat Kenta for the U.S. title. But I think they, I mean, maybe if Moxley wins, maybe that kind of foreshadows that he's going to win at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Or maybe he loses, so then it kind of keeps it up in the air. But I do think Kenny's going to win here. Uh, especially because all the baby, all the champions right now in AEW are baby faces. So I think switching up, giving it to a fresh heel, Kenny Omega, could uh, spruce some things up over there in AEW. Speaking of AEW, we got the recaps. They kicked off the show with Hangman Adam Page taking on John Silver, and Hangman wins. I thought this was a, a pretty good match, kind of surprising so. Uh, John Silver has been getting over on being the elite, getting a lot of face time on Dark as well. And I think John Silver has some upside to him. I know he's pretty small, you know, has the bald, big beard look, kind of something we see from a lot of wrestlers right now. But I do think Silver has enough personality to be a, a pretty good baby face. Now, he's so undersized, I don't really, he can be like a really annoying heel. But I think at that size, he's definitely more of like, if he's going to be a heel, he's going to be like mid to undercard heel. Which is kind of what he is at this point. Now, if he's a babyface, I haven't really like seen too much of his work to know how great of a wrestler he can be. But he has a solid enough foundation that if he were to turn babyface against the Dark Order, maybe if he teams with Hangman and they go against the Dark Order, maybe there's something there. But uh, after the match, the Dark Order come out and kind of, quote-unquote, recruit, but not recruit Hangman, just kind of saying, you know, you're lonely it seems like you're part of a cult because every time you try to leave the elite, they reel you back in. So this was kind of the first chapter of Hangman and the Dark Order. I, I definitely don't think Hangman is going to you know join the Dark Order. We already kind of have that very similar storyline with Cole Cabana, and that has kind of been dropped. I think it is more the fact that Brody Lee has been hurt and he hasn't been seen on Dynamite. I think more of the story is between Colt and Brody. And with Brody out, he can't really do too much with Colt. But uh, looking forward to whatever they do with Hangman. I keep saying it. I loved Hangman at the beginning of the year. I thought his cowboy shit gimmick was just fantastic. And they kind of dropped the ball. I know they had COVID and everything was kind of thrown for a loop. But it, it is a little bit of a disappointment to see where Hangman is now at the end of the year. Kenny Omega had a backstage promo. He had the glasses. He was kind of talking. And as I said, he says that after the 
real hardcore match they had last year at Full Gear. Now Kenny wants a clean, technical wrestling match. Kenny went to John's world. John won. Now he wants John to go to his world. And as I said, I think this will lead to Kenny kind of cheating his way to the title. And I liked how Kenny was pretty much a babyface throughout the entire promo to where he was like, oh, as I said, you know, I was in your world, I lost, but you come to my world, I'll beat you. And then at the very end, he was like, you know, he left, came back and said, John, you said your dad's tough. I don't think your dad's that tough. You know, I think my dad could beat the shit out of your dad. And it was just so, so tiny and so like nonchalant the way he said it. It was like, mm, there we go. Kenny, he's a heel. He's not exactly shown it all the time, but we're not supposed to like him. We want to see John Moxley beat his ass. And that's exactly what we saw. We saw the contract signing for the world title. Kenny already signed the contract, so he was just kind of there for shits and giggles. Uh, Mox or Kenny was doing his whole elaborate ring entrance. They have, I don't even know if you call it a, uh, I don't know, you saw his silhouette before he comes out. And then we see John Moxley right behind him. And he uh, attacks Kenny, lays him out, hits him with a double arm DDT on the title, cuts a promo, you know, Strict, straightforward babyface stuff saying I'm going to beat your ass and I'm going to win the title and yeah. Then we had a powerhouse Hobbs. Not Will Hobbs, he's powerhouse Hobbs now and he had a squash match. The name change, I mean I'm not the biggest fan of it. I thought it was like, eh, we, we've seen this stuff before with WWE and you're, you're, I see where you're going. You're kind of trying to make a name for him and everything like that but kind of rolled my eyes. Not a big fan of the name change but glad to see Will Hobbs in a prominent position in AEW. Taz was on commentary, steps out behind the table, cuts a promo, Hobbs leaves, and it was kind of like a shoot work, you know, work shoot type angle where Taz is like demanding for the title to be recognized by AEW and, you know, he's dealt with this bullshit for years. He's had the title for so long and no one wants to recognize it. No one wants to, you know, say that this is a title and what it actually stands for and everything like that. He gets his mic cut off a few times he demands someone for management to come out and then it's cody cody tries to calm taz down and taz uh, ends up choking out cody after cody brings up the fact that his son taz's son hook which hell of a name for taz's son i know it's a work but hell of a name taz and hook uh that hook has been training with cody and that sent taz over the edge and uh yeah, I mean, I wasn't a real big fan of the promo. I've really been liking what Taz has been doing lately, but I just didn't like the the whole work shoot angle of it. And another thing is, what is, like, the point? Like, if Cody were to come out, what was he going to do? Was he going to be like, okay, that's an AEW title now. I recognize it. And that's it? Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they're missing, like, a chapter. Or, I mean, I know they've kind of said it in the show, and Taz has kind of explained it a little bit. But it's like, it's a, hopefully Taz isn't listening here, but, you know, it's kind of a fake title. It's Taz brought it, you know, made it up and it's his and, okay, what is AEW supposed to do? Just be like, okay, we recognize that title, Taz. It's still your title. So if you want to defend it, you can defend it, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's, I kind of see where they're coming from, but also I wasn't a, big fan of the whole work shoot aspect of it because we've seen it so much not exactly in AEW per se but i kind of wish we step away from that and if we didn't have another work shoot angle for another 20 years i would not complain then we get th2 defeating top flight good athletic match th2 
kind of coming back from co or from quarantine. A top flight, you know, young guys, they officially signed with AEW, so congratulations to them. But TH2 getting the win makes sense. You know, they're a heel tag team, kind of build them up a little bit, I think, for the Young Bucks to knock them down. Nothing too much here. Then we have FTR cutting a promo uh, backstage or kind of a vignette style where they talk about how everyone was talking about how great the match was, and it's the best tag team match of all time. But for them, it was the worst night of their life because they lost the title. Tully was there. Just good stuff all the way around. And then uh, we get Jake Hager and Chris Jericho defeating SCU. I mean, fine match. You know, two kind of older, I mean, I guess three. I mean, even Jake Hager's old. So four older guys kind of going at it. Not exactly the uh, tip-top ring work that I used to see from AEW, but it was fine. And then Inner Circle kind of going back to their roots, I think, a lot more. Stepping back from the -the over-the-top comedy stuff they've been doing with MJF and Jericho. Beat down an SCU, Scorpio Sky makes a save. Go backstage later on on the show, and they cut a promo kind of explaining that they're going back to the roots to beating people up, which, thank God. I am happy to see that. I hope we don't see any more hangover parodies or Sinatra singing ever again from the Inner Circle and MJF. Now, maybe this is kind of them putting a hold on the storyline for a little bit, and then Jer- or then MJF turns you know, maybe closer to Revolution or at Revolution for uh, whatever, for the Inner Circle and kind of takes control, or he just breaks off from the Inner Circle and says, fuck you guys, I'm leaving. Who knows? Then we get Hikaru Shida defeating Anna Jay to retain her AEW women's title. Saw the match, I thought Anna Jay, I thought they told a nice story of saying how Anna Jay's first match in AEW was against Shida. And now Anna has kind of, you know, refined her skills and has gotten a lot better since then. And she put up a fight, but Sheeta was just too strong at the end of the day. Then in the main event, we had Butcher and Blade defeating Pac and Ray Phoenix. Uh, you know, solid, hard-hitting tag team match. Eddie Kingston was on commentary. He gets involved, takes uh, hits Phoenix, you know, crotches him on the top rope. That leads to the finish. And a big old beatdown at the end. And kind of the, I don't know if it's the big moment of the note of the show, but the kind of last moment of the show is Lance Archer comes and makes a save after uh, Eddie Kingston and company beatdown on Triangulo de la Muerte. Boom. And, uh, yeah. It, uh, what does this mean? Is Lance Archer turning babyface? Is he a heel, but he doesn't like people beating up other people? I don't know. But I think if Lance Archer is like officially a babyface and maybe joins the, uh, I looked this up on the Bulletcast, the Quattaro, the Death Square. They make the Death Square because it's four people. Get it? Uh, I think that's a, a good like matchup or a kind of a good pairing over there, just because I think a lot of the bigger people on AEW are more ba- are more heels. So if you can have kind of the one giant babyface, I think that's kind of a nice. Nice little differentiating from everything else. Uh, we also had some stupid backstage thing with Miro and Kip Sabian talking about video games and they beat up the best friends. Yeah. He... Not liking a lot from Miro at this point. But let's move on to NXT. We get Candice LeRae taking on Ember Moon and Candice LeRae wins after Indy Hartwell interferes. Uh, we get... Candace and friends, or I guess Candace, Indy, 
Indy, that was the person I was thinking of that could be in the War Games match. Don't think it's going to be her. I think Raquel Gonzalez is going to be that fourth person. Anyways, let's get back on track here. Uh, Indy, Candice, Raquel, Dakota, and Raquel beat up on uh, Ember. Tony, quote-unquote, makes the save. But then Tony Storm turns on Ember Moon, beats her up, and kind of joins forces with Candice LeRae. I like it. I think with kind of Moon and Tony coming at the same time, there's kind of a parallel to their story and kind of what's going on. I, I did find it interesting to bring in two different women on the same exact takeover. But it, it kind of makes sense now that, you know, Tony's veering off in a heel direction, Ember staying in the babyface direction. And I've never really seen Tony as a heel before, so maybe adding that edge to her character I think it would be good. The only thing is I think Tony is such a star that if she were to turn heel and she's like cool and even more badass than she normally is, I think sooner rather than later she will be a babyface once again, just in whatever this character, this Tony Storm is. And as I talked about earlier, this pretty much sets up a, a War Games match for the women. Shotzi nowhere to be seen, even though you know the main issue is between Shotzi and Candace. I guess... Shotzi is too busy rebuilding her tank to beat up on Candace or to save the locker room, I guess. I don't know. Uh, speaking of some returns, we get Undisputed Era making their return after last week. They cut a promo and they uh, kind of reintroduce, not reintroduce themselves, but, you know, just kind of laying down the groundwork for the War Games match. And they have a match later on for the when whoever wins the match gets the advantage and they pick Kyle O'Reilly kind of short, simple, but I thought it was effective. Uh, Kushida takes on Timothy Thatcher. Kushida actually taps out Timothy Thatcher. I thought that was a nice, surprising victory for Kushida after Kushida beats Arturo Ruas via submission. Now he beats Timothy Thatcher. We had uh, Tommaso Ciampa sitting at ringside, not really doing anything, just kind of getting in Thatcher's head without really doing anything. And Kushida gets a tap-out win, so adding insult to injury with Thatcher, who never taps out because he's the tap-out master. I thought that was a nice little touch right there. And now Thatcher and Ciampa can go off and do whatever the hell they're going to be going, whatever they're going to be doing. Uh, Kushida's still getting big wins here, but not really in any program. Kind of want to see Kushida do a little more in AEW or in NXT. Maybe if he wants to go to AEW... So be it. Kevin Owens was on commentary for NXT throughout the night, and we had a Kevin Owens show. Overall, I thought Kevin Owens was pretty good on commentary. Uh, his guest was Leon Ruff, but then this led to Johnny Gargano and Damian Priest coming out, which then led to William Regal coming out and announcing that they will have a triple threat matchup all games. I mean, uh, it was fine. I thought Kevin Owens was... a uh, a joy to watch here as he as he usually is i mean i think when you get kevin owens back in this atmosphere he's gonna have a lot of fun and kind of give no you know just kind of say some stupid shit and have a lot of fun with it so i thought that was fun to see kevin owens kind of back in this environment in nxt uh, cameron grimes takes on jake atlas gets the win once again i wish jake atlas could be a little bit more in nxt but i have a feeling he's going to be one of those guys who loses a lot early gets taken off of television, and then they try to reintroduce him again in, like, you know, a year. 
and kind of just want to make people forget about what happened. Uh, Cameron Grimes gets the win, but this leads to Dexter Loomis. Being Dexter Loomis, brings out a strap. Cameron Grimes walks away. After the break, William Regal says that Cameron Grimes and Dexter Loomis will face off in a strap match. Yay! Cannot wait for that match. Then Rhea Ripley cuts a promo. And she was kind of addressing the fact, not like addressing her rumors of going to the main roster, but, you know, kind of skirting around the fact of, like, you know, I'm not leaving. And she did the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. She's not fucking leaving, basically, I guess. Uh, then uh, Candace and friends come out and attack Rhea. Or I guess she, they showed that she had, that they attacked Io. Io was lifeless. And then they go and attack Rhea. This is kind of where I had more of an issue of it, of where the hell is Shotzi? Like, why is Shotzi not kind of coming in to save the day and, like, having even just, like, come in to get her ass beat? And then you can have, like, a fiery promo from Shotzi the next week and everyone, you know, kind of aligning, you know, Power Rangers unite and stuff like that. But we'll see. I assume that's what they're going to be doing next week. Uh, we get oh my God. the Grizzled Young Vets make their return. I forget who they beat up, but I call them the Young Bucks, the Old Buck, Old Young Bucks lookalikes. Grizzly Young Vets uh, make their return. Very happy to see this. The only problem is that only Lorcan and Danny Burch are heels. Grizzly Young Vets are heels, so I don't exactly know uh, what the GYVs are going to be up to for a little bit. But I think the tag team division in NXT is just so bare right now that just getting any bodies in the division is good at this point. And in the main event, Kyle O'Reilly takes on Pete Dunne, and Pete Dunne gets the win and earns the advantage in war games for his team. No Pat McAfee. He was back in Indianapolis, obviously because of Thanksgiving, and really good, hard-hitting match. Both guys, you know, working over the knees and the legs, and that was pretty much the story that they were telling, and in the end, Dunne gets the win after someone in a mask I presumably Pat McAfee, but we didn't actually see the person unmask. Throws off uh, Kyle O'Reilly from the ladder. And maybe this means that Pat McAfee won't be in war games. It's actually going to be this masked person. Who is it? We don't know. We shall see. Then finally, we can just uh, quickly run through the Raw recap we had to kick off the show, we had all the good little boys from the Survivor Series pay-per-view. The Raw men's team standing there with Adam Pearce. And he basically talks about them winning. And they're going to have matches to determine the number one contender. Blah, 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 blah. And it leads to Braun Strowman yelling at everybody and getting COVID droplets on everyone. And he headbutts Adam Pearce, which leads to Braun Strowman getting kayfabe suspended and blah, 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 blah. This uh, leads to three different matches to determine the qualifiers for a triple threat match for next week to determine the number one contender for the WWE Championship. You got that? Good. Keith Lee defeats Bobby Lashley in a sh shitty finish. I don't know why MVP just kind of ran out and attacked, MV or t attacked Keith Lee to cost his client a shot at the title, even though his title wasn't on the line. And yeah, it just didn't make any sense. And then Bobby Lashley seemed fine with the interference. He wasn't angry. And 
it's just kind of one of those things that WWE wants to get out of finishes. No one, they don't want anyone to do a job, but if they don't have a story, uh, they don't have a storyline reasoning really for it coming out of it, and yeah, everything like that. Matt Riddle, or sorry, Riddle, beats Sheamus. Fantastic match, maybe standout match of the night, and this just kind of shows that if Sheamus is motivated and has like a good dance partner, he can have a pretty good match. And then in the main event, AJ Styles beats Randy Orton after he gets spooked by The Fiend. Ooh, remember after Hell in a Cell, The Fiend came out and was making spooky faces towards Randy Orton? Well, he's back to do it again. Now it looks like we're going to be getting a Fiend-Randy Orton feud. They had a Firefly Funhouse where they killed a frog. Hate to see it. RIP Friendship Frog. But uh, Firefly Funhouse was actually kind of on the better end of what they've done recently with that uh, segment. And I think this kind of questions even more what they were doing coming out of Hell in a Cell because that I believe the night after Hell in a Cell, they did kind of teasing like a triple threat between The Fiend, Randy, and McIntyre for the title. And then now McIntyre wins the title. He's presumably gone doing whatever the winner of the triple threat match is going to be. And now it's just solely focused on The Fiend and Randy Orton. So is this always the plan? Do they call an audible? I don't know, and I don't want to spend too many brain cells thinking about it because I think I've thought about it more than some other people have in that company. Then we get Lana, and well, Lana was facing Asuka for the Raw Women's title. Then that gets ended in a smudge because it's WWE, which then leads to Lana and Asuka teaming up to defeat Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. Lana. Lana, Lana, Lana. Maybe the worst baby face I have ever seen. So in Survivor Series, she is the sole survivor after doing pretty much nothing. Then the next day on Raw, she gets interviewed and she's glowing. She's so happy for herself. She's living on cloud nine because she accomplished this. It's the best moment of her career. And she doesn't want a title shot because she just wants to live in the moment. And yet no one is checking her on the fact that she didn't do anything to deserve whatever the accolade or the whatever the accolade she's like making up in her head and we're just supposed to go along with it the commentators aren't talking about how preposterous this is I, yeah WWE not exactly the uh, best at booking baby faces that people want to get behind yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, finally, speaking of baby faces that people can't get behind, Nikki Cross loses to Alexa Bliss after falling for Alexa Bliss's trap of being nice or being crying because she's scared of the fiend and she wants to, like, trying to, okay, here we go, reset. Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss had a match. Nikki Cross was trying to beat the fiend out of... Alexa Bliss, she was doing a pretty good job. She was beating the fuck out of Alexa Bliss. And then, just out of nowhere, Alexa Bliss starts crying and yelling for Nikki and like wants a hug when everyone and their mother from 50 miles away can see what's coming. Alexa Bliss then hits Nikki Cross with Sister Abigail and snaps back into happy, fun-loving, fiend-loving Alexa Bliss. And yeah, Alexa Bliss gets the win. So the baby faces in the women's division, not, not doing so well right now over there on Raw. And uh, for the most part, that's uh, all we're going to talk about on Raw Survivor Series as a whole. I thought it was a good show. I thought there was not, I mean, 
the action was fine, but as I keep saying, like, what is the reasoning behind these matches happening? Even on Raw, I mean, Miz won a battle royal on the pre-show. Miz wasn't even there. He was, he didn't gloat about it. Yeah, yeah, the guys on Raw won a title opportunity, but it's like Raw wasn't proclaiming that they won. They didn't have the stupid scoreboard going on throughout Survivor Series. So, just kind of proves my point that they're just having these matches because that's what that's the branding of the show and then once the show's over they just forget about it and pretend like it never happened undertaker farewell undertaker is not dead he's very well i guess mark calloway is still alive the undertaker will forever rest in peace now after this segment but i mean i was i had kind of mixed emotions on it i was kind of expecting a little bit more the legends kind of parading out that was kind of fun but they had more screen time collectively than I guess The Undertaker did. Vince, looking old, maybe had some work done. I'm not going to, no question, I'm not going to hate. No, you do you, boo. Then Undertaker comes out after some EDM lightning music doing his song, and he says, rest in peace, kneels to a hologram Paul Bear. Then the bell tolls ten times, and he leaves to his music, and yeah, that's The Undertaker. I wasn't, I didn't know exactly what to expect. I didn't think we were going to get a heartfelt Mark Calloway speech. Save that for the Hall of Fame, I guess. Pretty much similar to what we saw, I think it was old school Raw, or the 20, I think it was the 25th anniversary of Raw, where The Undertaker came out and pretty much like said the exact same thing at the Hammerstein Ballroom. So, if this is the last moment of The Undertaker, so be it. I think it's definitely time for The Undertaker to stop wrestling. But uh, yeah, that'll do it for me for today. Still went over an hour, even though might have fucked up here and there, but that's okay. We're going to get back on the horse next week. Dominic should return, hopefully. Please, Dominic, save me. Come back as much as I make fun of you. I need somebody to bounce some ideas off of. All right. Uh, thank you all very much for tuning in. If you have a question, make sure to send it into our Gmail. It is curveball and cs at gmail.com follow us on the instagram and the twitter at curveballs with an s curveballs and cs and didn't haven't said this and i don't even know how long but we also you know still have that raise energy drink sponsorship thingy go to rep sports that's r-e-p-p-s-p-o-r-t-s.com get 15 percent off all raise energy products with the promo code cbcs Pretty sure they're having some Black Friday sales. If they got better sales than 15% off, then go for it and use that code. Or you can use code CBCS and, you know, your boys, a.k.a. Dominic, get a little bit of a cutback. And maybe Dominic can use that cutback or, you know, get a little bit of that commission money to get your boy a nice, fun Christmas present. Because let's be honest, the last two years, the Christmas presents he got me weren't the best in the world. But it's okay. Still very grateful. Hell, still got that penis pump from last year sitting underneath my bed. Haven't used it in a while. Maybe fire that song bitch up later today. I don't know. But until next time on that note, goodbye and good night. Uh bye bye.